Welcome to Bioinnovator Spotlight at Life Science Org, where we listen to the life science leaders of tomorrow tell their story and discuss their challenges as founders and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, scientist-turned-communicator, Dr. David Kirk. Let's meet today's founder. I'm joined this week by Weira Mello, a postdoctoral fellow at Max Planck Institute for Molecular Genetics in Berlin, Germany, and co-founder of the Lucid Genomics Project. Weira, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, David, for having me here. Please, Weira, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you make it from Brazil to Berlin? Okay, so I was born in the countryside in Brazil, in the northeast part. And as a kid, I was very curious. I remember as a kid looking at the, through the windows and asking myself, do the trees are alive or not? Do they communicate to each other? They seem to have a very boring life. And then it's funny because it was the first time that I remember myself asking these questions, mm. which is a base of a scientist, just asking questions. Yeah. Later on, I found out that I was a very annoying kid asking a lot of questions. <laughs> and then from that, I decided, decided to um, study biology. It was the topic that I liked the most. And then I, when I finished my undergrad, they decided to go for um, the academia life side. So I go for master's and PhD in Sao Paulo. I studied at the University of Sao Paulo in the Department of Genetics. And there is when actually the doors opened for me and I had the opportunity to go to Argentina for an internship and then also to US to Berkeley, uh, which was a great step in, in my career. And I really learned how, how it's done, science in the first world um, level, countered that investment simply in, in science. Mm-hmm. And then this one year in, in, at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab for me was really mind-blowing. It opened the idea of, okay, there's a whole world of science to explore, I want more. And then when I went back to Brazil, I finished my PhD. I decided to do a postdoc abroad, and then I decided to go to Europe. And now I know already how the science works in the U.S. I want to know how it works in Europe. Hmm. Then I was very lucky to, to get this uh, uh, prestigious fellowship, the Alexander von Humboldt. Um, and then I moved to, to Berlin in 2018 to do my postdoc at the Max Planck Institute for Molecular Genetics. Yeah. How do you find science in the in Europe compared to the US? Is it a different creature? It is completely different. And I love it way more here in, in Europe, although it is changing because now the whole process of academia, there's a lot of pressure to publish and mm-hmm. to publish in high uh, journal, in fact, fact journals. You have to tell a story and the story has to be told in a specific way. And then you have to have massive data sets. And it's a completely different style. But now, apparently, they're emerging for something international. And maybe it's a good discussion to think, rethink about, like, what, are you, what really is science? Is answering questions or just telling stories or a combination of them? But, um, it's, it's, it's really different visions about science. And I would say that I would like more the European one. Yeah. I... Tell me about this transition now, because you've been in academia for quite a while, and now you're transitioning towards entrepreneurship. What prompted that transition? Um, I love this question, because I thought that my whole entire career, I would be an academic person. Mm -hmm. Scientist, I'm always going to be, because I love asking questions. Um, But then I thought that my future would be a researcher or professor in, in academia. Then everything changed when Corona really started. And then Corona really gave this time for myself to think about it exactly. How can I use my skills in a better environment? 
and love asking questions. I know very good the scientific method, but what else is out there that I can use this for? Because since I did my undergrad, I was just like jumping from one step to the other. Undergrad, master's, PhD, postdoc, never had time to think about exactly how can I use better this knowledge and skills that I have. And then with Corona, with a lot of time that we had lockdown at home, I really decided, okay, I want to do something more, something that takes me out of this comfort zone that I felt that I was already a few years. Now you want to try something new. How can I combine this, um, these skills uh, in, a, in a different way? It was when the entrepreneurship started to pop into my mind. Back when I was in, in Sao Paulo doing my PhD, I met someone that told me like, hey, I think you have a potential to one day be maybe an entrepreneur. And I, I had this, this seed when yeah. I in my mind, but I never thought about it. So during Corona was the time actually to water it and let it grow. And then um, I found the best co-founder I could ever found, Hossein, that we're working together in this project. And then we both actually scientists helping each other to build something. And it was a great, it is a great journey. Yeah, I, I love that. I like that the seed was planted a, a few years before. Um, and the, the lockdown, I think, gave us all a, a lot of time to think about potential futures, potential paths, the, the road not taken. Um, and you're in a great place as well to do it in, um, in Berlin. Uh, have you received a lot of support from Max Planck? To go through the entrepreneurial path. So the Max Planck Society it has a branch that's called Max Planck Innovation that is really dealing with startups and, and helping them to do a spin-off from the Max Planck uh, Institute. And this is really was very helpful for us. That it was our first time actually scientists talking to um, the real world of the business. What do we need to do to achieve actually to build a startup from scratch? the scientific environment. Yeah. And let's um, let's talk a little bit now about Lucid Genomics, the project soon-to-be company that you are working on. Uh, what, where did the idea come from? What is the big unmet challenge that you're trying to address with it? So in the field of human genetic diseases now, um, a lot of uh, patients, they uh, have genetic disease that is already um, defined by a medical geneticist. But they do not know what is the cause of their condition. Where in the DNA is the mutation that actually causing their condition. Mm. And then for with, with the advancement of technologies in the last decades, we actually could solve many of these cases. And then looking for a specific part of the genomes, where we call the coding regions of the, of the genome, actually we could solve 30%, even up to 40% of the patients with genetic diseases in the world, which is a huge um, huge uh, accomplishment. However, we still have seven, 60 to 70% of the patients that they never receive a diagnosis. And also, we, we also know that there's a lot of potential to develop new drugs by looking at other parts of the DNA. They were not actually done yet because the technology was not there, plus the knowledge about this region of the DNA that's called dark matter of the DNA, which actually is 98% of it. The majority of our DNA is dark matter, like the universe. Majority of it, we don't actually know because we didn't have actually tools to understand exactly what is out there. And now, actually, in the last five years, new sequencing technologies came out, and we were very lucky at the Max Planck have access to these new technologies, and then we could sequence a lot of samples from patients with genetic diseases. And then actually now was the first time, oh, we can actually look 
shed light into, onto the dark matter of the DNA and understand what is the code of this part of the DNA. So actually the unmet need right now is using 98% of the genomic data that actually was just discarded by the analysis. And there's so much information in this 98% that we actually starting to understand right now, but this is actually the future, the way we're gonna go in the future of genomics. Yeah, when we talk about this dark matter, is this the, the non-coding regions that we talk about, some of these viral DNA particles that are embedded in, in the human genome? Exactly. So our DNA, basically half of our DNA is repetitive regions. It's viruses that were inserted millions of years ago, or regions that they just replicate cell and they change a bit uh, during evolution time. And then it's hard. These regions, they are very repetitive. They're really similar to other regions in the genome. And then it, the, the previous technology was not able to actually look at them with good quality. But with the new one, it is. And then now we are pushing forward to understand actually what are these regions that before were hard to understand? What is the meaning of them? Are they functional? If so, how can they actually, why, why we are so different from each other as human beings and also the animals, the plants, all the organisms, the, the, actually the atmosphere is lying in the non-cold I think it's very interesting. I mean, I, I'd heard of, I'd heard of an experiment, whether or not it was actually done. I don't know if it was a hypothetical or, or an actual experiment where um, they wanted to basically take a, a small mammal, remove all of the or as much non-coding DNA as possible and just put coding regions in and see if it would develop. I, I, I don't know if that has been done. That would be a very interesting thing to see. That's a very interesting thing. I think it was never done because we have a problem right now that we are trying to address in, in the scientific field is how we actually delete or insert huge blocks of the DNA yeah. to some species. And actually right now we, we get some progress, but it's still, it's going to take a little while. And it's called uh, synthetic biology or mm. genomics. It's the capability of writing DNA. Mm. And it's, it's a hot topic right now. And then in the future, actually we're going to be able to have the tools to answer this kind of Oh, I can't wait. Uh, it, it's a fascinating area. Um, moving on to your role now as, as leader of this project or co-leader, co-founder, uh, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing today? For me, the last year, um, the biggest challenge was, first of all, understand how the business world works, because hmm. it was a completely new world for me. And the second is um, to convince actually people from the business world that scientists actually can be entrepreneurs and can be also business people. We also can understand, we learn very fast. The scientific method actually helped us um, to, to make it faster and, and we know how to use it very good. So I think it was this conflict of communication from both sides that took me a long time to understand actually how to talk better, to communicate better business-related people, and then also how can they understand scientists better without putting us scientists in a box of this uh, box that we are called as genius or socially awkward or something like this, but which is not true. We are like a plethora of different phenotypes, right? We're different uh, people with different skills, but actually we could use this in, in a better way to create a product that is has a huge impact and a need for the world population. So for me, that, that was the, the hardest part. The, the second part is actually um, getting, getting real feedback um, that is really worth in the sense of 
in science, if you talk to 100 scientists about a specific experiment, at least 99 is going to tell you this is right, this is wrong. In business, you talk to 100 people, 30 is going to say yes, 40 is going to say oh, no, and the majority is going to say maybe. So every person that you talk in the business world gives you a different feedback, which is good because it makes you think about it. Okay, interesting point of view, but sometimes it's not like the best advice for someone that is starting or maybe someone that is starting a startup in the science-related field. So it's hard also to filter this whole information that we get from the entrepreneurial world to really understand what is actually impactful in our work, actually how can help us to move forward. Yeah, I think that's um, entirely understandable, um, especially in that in the, on the communications note, it is two different worlds between business and science, and it is a very wide gap that needs to be bridged. So it's it's great to hear somebody who is like just beginning this journey and is conscious of that gap because I think it's it can be a surprise to some people when they when they come across it. <laughs> Um, the last question I want to ask you, Vera, is uh, do you have a book recommendation that you, that maybe something that has shaped your thinking through the years that you would recommend to other founders? Yeah, um, when, when I got this question, I was thinking about myself. Yeah, what, what book could I uh, actually illustrate here better? And the one that I thought and was, was really kind of important for me as a person, because as an entrepreneur before that is a person, and as a person, I, um, the book that actually touched me really, really deep was uh, Blindness for, from Jose Saramargo, Portuguese writer. And in this book, um, it is a very interesting story that everyone in the city, they, they become blind, hmm. but just one person is not. And then actually it's a nice drama asking them, that makes you think about it. What is your responsibility when you are the only one person that are aware of everything and you see what is happening? And what, what is your role in this? How do you deal with this responsibility? And then somehow, I think in the way of a founder, when you want to bring a new idea to the world and you have this vision and you have to convince the others, hey, I'm seeing everything. You are all blind. You have to trust me. And what is my responsibility of what I'm, what I'm seeing, how I'm going to use it to actually make the whole environment, the whole society better? And then I think that it's, it's a good catch that is always stick to my brain, the responsibility of seeing things that the others they don't. And that's what I, I like really about this book. Yeah, I think that's a great recommendation. That sounds like an amazing book as well. Yes, probably recommend it. Awira, uh, thank you so much for joining me on BioInnovator Spotlight. I hope we can catch up again in about a year's time when the company's founded and everything's ready to go. We can look back on this and laugh at <laughs> everything being so different, hopefully. Thank you so much for having me here and I had a lot of fun. Are you a life science CEO in Europe? Go to lifescienceorg.com where you can connect, share, and engage with a community of your peers. We have a platform just for early stage founders too. You can join there at nextgen.lifescienceorg.com